I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Jameson Starbuck, owner and director of One Doc Naturopathic Medicine Clinic in Missoula, Montana, a family practice helping patients of all ages who want gentle, effective, non-invasive ways to treat disease and support their health. Jameson is, is past president of American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, a lecturer at the University of Montana, has her own radio show, Dr. Starbucks Health Tips for Kids, and has been a columnist for Bottom Line Health for over 25 years. You can learn about Dr. Starbuck and her work at drjamesonstarbuck.com, and you can find her radio show at mtpr.org. Welcome, Jameson. Thank you so much for doing this. You are very welcome. Thank you. All right. So I want to talk today, and we're, we want to be sure to do this speedy quick because it's back to school time. And it's going to be another big flu year, and already kids are coming home sick from school. So I wanted to talk to you about what should parents be doing uh, to help their kids stay healthy? Why are kids getting sick when they get to school, and how can we, we reduce their diseases this year? Fair enough? Fair, very fair, yes. All right. So I have this theory. It's always fascinating to me. Whenever we have new employees come into the office, they always get sick within a couple weeks. That and And... Does the same thing happen with kids? Like, is there something in the beginning of the year that, that kids are going in and they're jumping into this vulnerability that they need to be aware of? Yes. What happens is that children have been um, in different environments all summer with a different population group, and suddenly they're placed in an environment where there are all sorts of people carrying all sorts of germs to which nobody other than the population group that those people come from themselves nobody has had a chance to develop immunities to. So, so they're in a new bit. germ soup, as I call it. Yeah, they're in a new bacterial, viral um, soup and getting exposed through air, through contact, physical contact, through sharing meals, and also in, in the school environment, and I think many work environments, there isn't a lot of fresh air, so there's a lot of recirculated air. Um, it's also a stressful environment because it is new and there's all those things associated with it, which are similar, I think, to when people start a new job. There's always stress associated with adjusting. And stress drives down the immune response because the immune system trying to work with the stress. So the immune system is doing a variety of tasks, which makes it less able to keep up with fighting a new germ. So when, before those kids come into school, so now a bunch of them have already gone to school, but are there things that parents should be doing or kids should be doing before they even get there to be sure that they're as strong as they can be before they walk into that, that new soup environment? What I recommend to the patients who are in my practice and just anyone listening is that parents start a strategy about two weeks before school starts, and if you haven't had time to do that, then you just start it as soon as you can of uh, simple things that support generalized health. So in terms of making sure the diet is fairly healthy right before school starts, not a lot of sugar and junk food, making sure there's real good sleep the, when school begins, that you're getting your child eight to 10 hours of sleep, and then doing um, probiotics, adding probiotics to the supplement regimen and adding at least vitamin C, if not just a good 
multi-mineral and vitamin just for a little bit of extra oomph for the immune system. All right, so I'm going to mock ourselves because this is the thing that uh, bottom line health, naturopaths go on forever where it's it's such basic advice. Right. And how do we let people know that it really works? Because to go oh, get a good night's sleep and eat a healthy diet, that and they go, yeah, right, okay, and then they hand their kids donuts. So what is it that we can demonstrate, help them understand that, no, it really does make a difference what your kids have in their stomach and that they've got healthy food and that they get some decent level of sleep? But people, I think what works the best is if people actually see demonstrable evidence of the value. So if parents are willing to pay attention and look around, they could pay attention to how often their child, if not sick, is at least tired, complaining of headaches, dragging around, not looking well in terms of their skin color and their droopy eyes, um, and pay attention to that. How often does that happen, or is that the state your child is in? Um, and then look around or have conversations with the parents of kids who are actually quite vital and quite healthy and see what it is that they eat. Because we know from research, which parents are not interested or have the time to read, but we know from research that it actually does make a difference in the amount of time absent from school, from school performance, from social performance, from athletic performance. There's verifiable facts that one could research, but in an impractical, that's impractical. So simply looking at the school population and the kids that are right in front of you. So do they, what's your favorite? There's a lot of debate. I know we go through a lot of studies of bottom line health about um, different strategies for breakfast. There's the strategy called eat a good heavy protein breakfast. There's a strategy called skip breakfast because you let your cells regenerate overnight. What's your best um, breakfast for school-age children? For school-age children, I think it is essential to have some breakfast. Uh, a lot of kids do, do have anticipatory stress about school. They sometimes have nausea or, or lack of appetite or their, their cortisol levels are revved up, which tends to diminish appetite in the short term and then increases appetite later when the stress has passed. So in the absence of eating breakfast, what happens for most kids is that they're not hungry when they leave out the door for school and about 10 o'clock in the morning, they're suddenly hungry because their stress levels have somewhat reduced and the response then is I need fuel. So what happens then is at 10 o'clock in the morning, they're wanting to eat donuts or have a sugary drink or, or something, anything. You offset that by having at least some protein. It does not have to be animal protein, um, but some protein and some calories. And I don't, so for example, it can be oatmeal with nuts on it. It can be a handful of almonds and a piece of fruit. It can be four ounces of yogurt. It can be an egg and a piece of toast. It, it really doesn't have to be a lot of food, but it has to be some fuel so that there are calories added right away before the body starts doing work. And watch out for the sugar levels. So there's Greek yogurt and then there's, you know, go-gurts. Right. right. So I'm a fan, it's a little bit of a hard sell, but I'm a fan of plain yogurt to which people add their own sweetener. So plain yogurt and you add maple syrup, plain yogurt and you add white sugar or jelly, uh, jam, uh, plain yogurt that you add fruit and nuts to. 
but sugar, super sweetened yogurts are, you know, it's not a lot different than eating ice cream. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, frankly, eat dinner for breakfast. People laugh at me, but in terms of being able to good, get good protein. But something, I think it's important for parents to think about getting out of their box of what's a breakfast food and what's not. I mean, so that for them to think about giving a kid a sandwich on their way out the door, even a you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a, you know, even a, a turkey sandwich. Is that something to think about? Absolutely, yes. And I have patients, I have kids who actually prefer eating breakfast, uh, eating dinner for breakfast. Um, and in certain countries, that's what they do. They eat rice and beans or they eat lentils or they have um, a piece of turkey or chicken and a carrot. You know, it doesn't, it's what will your child eat that has some protein to it and some complex carbohydrates to it. And how about kids and coffee? I am not a fan of kids having coffee. I think that it is a, a detrimental thing to most kids' health to have coffee, especially uh, during school, perhaps on the weekend if that's something they love with their family. But it gives a push to the heart. It gives a push to the adrenal system and it's unsupported by any nutrition so it's really just a drug so even antioxidant levels and all that sort of stuff kids and and i don't know what at what age do you think that coffee is acceptable to kids the problem is the limit is how much coffee is is happening during school so i think that it's quite all right for people who are 16 or so to start drink doing a lot of caffeine but we have six-year-olds doing caffeine in, in soda. So oh, I know. The caffeine that's the problem. Yes, there's some antioxidants in coffee, but in terms of learning and focus and concentration and fatigue that happens when the caffeine wears off, I think caffeine at school is problematic no matter what age, really. Well, until you get to be maybe out of school or at least 16. Right. So are the strategies, but kind of focusing on, on young kids, but are the strategies for eating, are the strategies for sleeping, are the strategies for, um, I'll call it, getting them ready for the new um, school environment different for younger kids versus older kids? Younger kids are more likely to get uh, acute illnesses when school starts than older kids because they tend to be less conscientious about hygiene, less aware about sharing things. They're, they have much more contact with one another physically than older kids generally do right in the beginning just because of the way of their maturity levels and what they do as activities. In terms of what you do strategically, I think that it's a value to all kids just as it is to adults going into a new environment or a new job situation to do all all of the things that I mentioned in terms of sleep and probiotics. And with younger kids though, I will often add some botanicals that are what are called adaptogenic herbs, things that help the body adapt to stress. And you can certainly do that with any age, but I tend to recommend that more to the younger kids. All right, so let's go through what your protocol is and then we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back and talk about the stressors and flu vaccine. But so what's the protocol that you would have you talked about some vitamins that the kids should take, probiotics, and then what botanicals? The botanicals I usually recommend are licorice root, elderberry, echinacea, which can be used long-term, not just for colds and flus. And I guess at those three, let's we can leave it at those three. And echinacea, I think that it matters the type of, of echinacea you get. There's whole plant and then there's roots yeah, only like, or something. For these purposes, I like the whole plant. 
Okay, because that's important for people to know. Yeah. Um, and then do they just dose like it's on the bottle? And do you, you, so you use this prophylactically, that kids going into school should be taking this on a regular basis, I'll call it starting when school starts? I use this particular formula for the first month of school, for them to adapt to the new environment, get things in a sort of get used to the environment and get their immune system up and running. Um, I often will keep people on the elderberry formula, on just an elderberry throughout the winter and school year. And I sometimes will keep them on all three, though I think that that could be unnecessary, except in kids who have a tendency to be sick often. So the dosing is, is weight dependent, it's formula dependent, so the best advice is really to follow the manufacturer's recommendation. Yes. Okay. Um, so now what happens? So let's say your kid comes home from school and they've got a scratchy throat. What's your, what, what's the first aid on when they come home and they're not feeling so great? So the first aid on a scratchy throat would be, uh, gargling right away with, I like to use formulas that have some essential oils in them. They have maybe some eucalyptus or some thyme or, uh, menthol. So right away gargling because you're starting to kill the germs that are in the back of the throat. If your child will do neti potting or you can do some nasal um, saline inhalation, that's wonderful also because you're trying to kill the virus before it has a chance to multiply. Right. So just to, and, and I know every time I tried to get with that with my kids, they go, ew, it's gross. But yes, I mean, it's can we scrub that out of all the mucous membranes before it really settles in? Yeah. Well, you could sometimes, you can find just a plain uh, nas- uh, saline or there are homeopathic saline-based nasal sprays that most kids can get talked into using. It's less gross than a neti pot. Do they still need to, I'll be gross for a minute, do they still need to snort it all the way up? Well, as far as they can, and then blow it. That's the best. And that's where the, the uh, gargling comes in, if, the, if they're willing. And it, you can just use plain salt water, if nothing else, because the mucus with the viral debris, and it goes up the nose and down the throat. And so if you kill it, it has less chance of replicating. Okay. Then and then the next I do is have them, if possible, do a hot bath with a strong cup of um, either ginger or peppermint tea. In the tea, in the bath? Well, they drink it while they're in the bath. Oh, okay. A lot of heat. And viruses don't, do not live well when the body temperature gets up some, uh-huh. which is why we get fevers. So trying to get the body heat up a little bit. And then if they're willing, and this is a little bit more difficult, when that bath is over and the cup of tea has been uh, consumed, you get a washcloth, wring it out with cold water, and briskly rub it all over the body, towel up, towel dry, and get in bed. And what? why get in bed? Rest. Ah, okay. I wasn't or sure if it was part couch. of the hot, cold, and rest. then get in bed. Hot. Well, you want to rest. But the, the idea with the hot and cold is we're moving the circulation. We're moving those white cells all over the body and getting some activity and some fresh blood cell activity. Got it. Okay. And how about, like, uh, I'll call it vitamin C. I'm always a big pounder of vitamin C at square one. Right. I think vitamin C and hydration, so sort of extra hydration and vitamin C, if they can handle doing 500 milligrams every three to four hours without getting a loose stool, that's a great thing to do. All right. All right. We're going to take a break right now, Dr. Jameson, Starbuck, and come back and talk about all those stressors in school and the flu vaccine, which I'm sure everyone wants to know about. Hold on. I'm talking to leading naturopathic physician and bottom line health columnist, Jameson Starbuck. Dr. Starbucks' Natural Way column enlightens readers to options in creating health and wellness beyond the mainstream drugs and surgical techniques. Sometimes you need them, but oftentimes helping your body to release its own healing properties through the use of nutrients, botanicals, and easy lifestyle changes can be safer 
and more effective. And Bottom Line has created an online store to help our customers follow that advice of Dr. Starbucks and our other leading natural physicians. We know that it can be confusing to shop for supplements and natural products. The prices are high, they're low, they're in between, and you have no idea which brand is safe and which might have hidden toxins from overseas. So we worked with our experts to create a select list of professional grade products in safe doses. You can relax knowing that what you're buying is safe in terms of quality and quantity. We want to make it easy and stress-free to follow the advice of Dr. Starbuck and others so you can keep your family healthy. The flu season is upon us and there seems to be a never-ending array of germs and ailments. Come to the Bottom Line store today to receive 20% off of your first order with the coupon code PODCAST. BottomLineStore.com, coupon code PODCAST, that's BottomLineStore.com, and use the code PODCAST. All right, we are back with Dr. Jameson Starbuck, who is Bottom Line's lead columnist. She's been been writing a natural health column for us for over 25 years, and we are talking about keeping your kids healthy when they go back to school, because Lord knows we don't want them going to school and coming right back home. All right, Jameson, when we were talking before, one of the first things you said about kids' vulnerability to sickness when they come to school, get back to school, is stress, and that it's a very stressful environment. It's stressful for them to get back to school. So tell me a little bit more about that. So I think that it's... Uh, it's, it's impossible for kids to return to school without there being a difficult moment or two, if not hours or days or weeks before that starts. Just like with adults going to a new job or joining a new uh, athletic team or any other shift, because there's peer pressure, there's performance pressure, there's getting up earlier than they're used to in the summer. The challenge is to, for parents to identify the stress and figure out how to deal with it. Um, if it's emotional stress, I often use really simple stuff like one can get homeopathic. So a couple things that I do for recommend to children before school starts is to use Calm's Forte or Rescue Remedy, which are both homeopathic preparations that you can purchase over the counter. They're very gentle, but they calm the nervous system, which then allows kids to focus a bit more on the school at hand and, and not feel so nervous as they head out the door to school or into the classroom. So um, let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question about that, actually? Yeah. Because I'm so paranoid about parents medicating their kids' emotional issues, right? So whether it's that they're throwing antidepressants on, they're throwing, you know, prescriptive medication or even using a botanical, a gentle botanical, like how do we, is it that these kids have hypersensitive nervous systems? Like how do you, how do you use it but not have it be, the excuse, but need to help the kids work through their handling of the stressful environment. You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean, and, and I think it's an excellent point and one that I actually have had that conversation with lots of parents because I feel the same way. I don't want any child or adult really to feel that the way they deal with their emotions is here's this medication, you take it and your emotions go away. The way I talk to parents and children about using it is first there has to be the conversation that the stress is even there so it shouldn't be that mom looks at the kid and says oh you're stressed take this and everything will be fine it's more that how's it going how do you feel about starting school you have the conversation and then it's this is a way to offer some support temporarily while we work through the stress and figure out what's going on it to me to not offer it is also to 
not offer a helping hand. Right. But you can get away with, or it's successful to come up with other things, deep breathing, um, physical activities that you do on the way to school that kind of distract you, parents coming with you, holding your hand on your way to school if you're very young. There are lots of strategies, and to me, the homeopathics and the rescue remedy are just one other strategy if you are conscientious about how you introduce it and talk about it as support as opposed to a solution. Yeah, because, I mean, there's no question the level of stress that these kids are going through on so many levels, and some of it from the parents. I mean, we really have to be conscious as parents of what our kids are going through. And I've always said, I only know a piece of what the kids experience in terms of teachers yelling, kids having meltdowns in classroom, whatever the the noisy environment is that they're in. Right, and then also just the social structure and the hierarchy of kids that are included or excluded or bullied or not bullied or bulliers. They're just, there's a lot going on for kids that's in school. And to me, the children that I see doing the best are the ones where there is communication between the parent and the child that is a, that takes into account those stressors. Even if you can't solve the stress, having a safe place to have a conversation about it is a big part of healing. Right. Well, and again, to bring it around full circle to the, the topic at hand, stress reduces your immune system and makes these kids vulnerable to illness of all kinds, yes? Absolutely, yes. Stress reduces the ability of your uh, defenders. Our adrenal system is our primary defense against the outer world. So it helps us defend against both illness, um, physical illness from viruses and bacteria. It also helps us um, have enough energy to manage tasks and it helps our emotional system to stay stable. So when you tax it, when you tax the external stressors are big and overwhelming, the adrenal system and the immune system just doesn't keep up and it gets weaker and weaker, and then one is vulnerable to all sorts of things. Right, which then comes back around to sleep and healthy diet, et cetera. All right, let's jump real quickly because I think one of the most important things or biggest topics on a lot of parents' mind with the school year is the flu. You know, it's, it's coming into flu season. The media has become, you know, it's a, it's a great topic to get everybody freaked out over on the flu season, the flu vaccine. I know last year was actually one of the worst flu seasons on record in, in recent history. So what is your quickie Dr. Starbuck flu, flu vaccine, yes, no, in your world, acknowledging that people have to do what's right for them? And then how do you help people defend against and treat the flu? I am not a fan of the flu shot. I don't recommend it to people. And why is that? Well, I think it's uh, at best 50-50 effective, at best. And I think that there are far safer ways and more effective ways to prepare oneself and deal with the flu and have flu prevention than to take the flu shot. And another thing that I see happening is a lot of people get the flu shot and then completely pay no attention to self-care and assume that that flu shot's going to protect them and everything else goes out the window. So I think it's a false um, a false god. It's a false prevention. Yeah, oh, that, interesting. Right. If it's only 50% yeah. pre- effective and they're right. assuming, ah, I got it, I'm covered. I'm covered, but really probably not. So what's uh, your defense? So 
there are uh, I use a homeopathic preparation called mucococcinum. There's also there are other ones out there. That's the one I particularly like. But is that I like have, a, a the pellets like a boron kind of thing? It's a homeopathic pellet. Anyway, I use a homeopathic a homeopathic flu preparation that I have my patients take once a month, and they start in September and they take it through the year um, until about February March when the flu has disappeared. In addition, I usually have people be on uh, children as I mentioned earlier, be on elderberry syrup or tincture. Uh, elderberry, there are lots of nice studies on elderberry being yes. a, a good immune antiviral. I have them on vitamin C, depending again on weight. Well, the dose of vitamin C is variable depending on the weight of the child. And probiotics to keep the digestive system healthy. Just an I overall probiotic, because different strains, different types? I like the probiotics that are simply acidophilus and bifidus. Okay. There are strains that have lots and lots of bacteria in them, but the best research is on acidophilus and bifidus. Okay. Those are the ones I use. Um, and then the other thing I like to do is to make sure that the kids um, are not, uh, for flu, again, you're talking about the immune system, and because the flu is more serious than, than some other things, it's really important that if kids have food allergies or food sensitivities that they don't eat those foods during flu season because one of the responses that you have if say you're allergic to dairy is you get mucus production and when you have a lot of mucus going on in the nose and sinuses the flu virus can get in and stay there much more readily than if your nasal and respiratory tract and sinuses are healthy yeah great point Take uh, yeah, so sort of maximizing a nice, healthy, strong respiratory tract. Another nutrient that's very important for the membranes of the respiratory tract is vitamin A. So I like to use fish oils that have some natural vitamin A in them or have people doing a lot of beta carotene. So carrot juice or orange uh, fruits and vegetables rich in beta carotene. Very helpful during for flu prevention. Gotcha. Okay. And if the worst happens and somebody gets the flu, um, what changes? Do they go back to the gargle protocols? We do a lot of the protocols for the sore throat. Um, often with the flu, I like to do a constitutional homeopathic remedy, which is impossible to say now, which is the right one for anybody on the air. Um, there are some uh, homeopathic flu preparations that are for acute um, use that one can find in uh, stores that sell that sort of thing. Are you but not I, a fan of the classic influenzinum? I use influenzinum. Uh, often I'll use, we could say influen if you want to put it out there. I'll use a dose of influenzinum, like a 200C influenzinum yeah. daily for three days. But sometimes I might, it might be bryonia or it might be uh, arsenicum. It really just depends on the symptoms. Right, because homeopathics are driven by the symptoms and how it displays yeah. in the individual. Right, but I might often do influenzinum or tuberculinum right at the very beginning. Right. A lot of times people don't come to me, you know, they're at home. Um, but then I, a big uh, herb that I like to use for the flu, I like to use baptisia and I like to use licorice root and um, have people start on those or kids start on those pretty frequently every few hours if they get the flu. And then I'm a fan of the same thing, the ginger tea and the Epsom salts, and try to get the body warm. Okay, great stuff. So I think actually what we'll do is we'll put 
we'll see if I can put this whole protocol, summarize these protocols onto the page where the podcast is so people can actually see them and download them as well and be able to, to see them. All right, Dr. Jameson Starbuck, you are amazing. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. And um, go check out your website at drjamesonstarbuck.com and read your column at bottomlinehealth.com. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me.